Okay, so we've secured Captain Holt's husband. Let's discuss how to proceed. So what you're saying is, we need to talk about Kevin. I have no regrets. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 539 with our review of Glass. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Welcome to 2019, officially, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, this, is, this is our first review of the new year that isn't our wild recap of all of the films that came out last year. Um, that means first review, uh, Return of the Cold Open, mm-hmm. maybe Return of Opening Questions, <laughs> bunch of different things. Uh, before we get started, though, just want to mention... Um, We know that many of you listening now maybe didn't finish all three hours and 18 minutes of our recap episode. But at the end of that episode, we talk about how we want to hear from you, the listeners, about what your top tens were. We have set up a survey once again. Um, It is over at thespoilerwarning.com slash top ten. That's T-O-P-1-0. And uh, if you go there, you can give us your top ten lists and... uh, if you do so, you may be randomly selected, and maybe in the next few episodes, maybe we'll, we'll give some time for the survey to sit out there for a while, um, we're going to randomly select somebody who sent in their top ten list to us, and we will give them a di- like, we'll gift them a digital download code for one of the items on their list. Um, if by chance you happen to own all those films already that made your list, we'll figure out something else to do for you. We'll gift you some other film <laughs> any way that we can. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're going to do that. Uh, at the bottom of that form, you will also find a little field where you can enter a film that we did not review last year that you want to hear our thoughts on, and uh, we'll pick one of those submissions as well, and we'll do a listener review for everybody. Um, so that should I'm, be exciting. <laughs> I, I'm excited. Let me interject here, too, to just praise Chris for not only recording three and a half hours or whatever of audio <laughs> that night, but immediately starting to edit and having it finished within like 48 hours, that that was pretty insane. It, it was, give you props. <laughs> it was a little gnarly, but uh, it was good. Uh, we, we, it, we followed that up with a three-day weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, I slept for most of that weekend. Yep. <laughs> so got, got time to catch up. Much uh, like the listeners did through most of that episode, probably. <laughs> that is true. Remember, everybody, there is a chaptered feed so you can skip around. That's mm-hmm. important to remember. Um, but yeah, so as I mentioned, maybe there's time to bring back uh, questions for the opening uh, of the episodes. I don't have anything special. I mean, obviously, we're going to have to do the general whenever we're talking about a film of this type to talk about the history of this franchise of and course. what we liked. But before that, I'm going to ask you a random question that's not totally random, but it's a thing that I thought during the film watching that I was like, I need to ask Steven this. I'm just going to open this episode with that question. Stephen Miller, there's a scene in this film where Elijah is typing code into a computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that valid code? It, it is certainly valid code. I was reading what he was doing, and he was he was doing like a for something string replace this try. So it, it looked like very basic scripting code. Okay, but for the thing that he is doing, it might actually be like a meaningful action. Okay. I didn't look long enough to see what it all did, but it wasn't gibberish, whatever he was doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to follow it. I was like, oh, this does something, but I don't it, know it if it does anything. It wasn't social network levels of realism, but it was it was okay. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, 
I, I used to not care, and now, because we've mentioned it on multiple episodes in the past, I always think, I wonder what Steven thinks of this, or if somebody tries to describe AI <laughs> in yeah. some film, I'm always like, where's Steven when you need him? This one gets a pass. Cool. Um, well, yeah, so now let's continue on to do the thing that we normally do when we're talking about a second or third film in a trilogy. Stephen Miller, what is your association with the... Uh, what, is this the Glass Trilogy? Is this the Unbreakable Trilogy? Is this just the M. Night Trilogy? Oh, superheroes? Um, whatever the official name for it is. Yeah. <laughs> what is your history with the franchise, and were you excited to go into Glass? So my history of it has changed in my uh, like my mythology of it. Because in November, I would have told you, oh yeah, I saw Unbreakable. I think I liked it. I don't know anything else. And then finally, at the beginning of this year, I quote, rewatched Unbreakable and realized almost certainly it was my first time watching it. <laughs> so I have no history with this franchise. I watched Unbreakable at the beginning of this year on a plane. I watched Split, like, not even a full week ago. Yeah. And then I watched Glass this weekend. So I am uh, I am completely new to the genre, having had everything spoiled for me already. Yeah. So I'm going in with no twists and turns at all. Um, and yet I was very excited for Glass. It was tempered by some murmurs of critical disappointment that like I try to ignore that but I, the twitter sphere was just blowing up like you you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't look anywhere without seeing someone like passive aggressively shitting on glass yeah. so i i felt a little concerned but I, I was riding high i mean i liked i liked the visit um we so is this where i talk about how i feel about all the movies already or do yeah, i wrap yeah. that in the review yeah so I think Unbreakable was great. That was as I expected it to be. Like, everyone speaks kind of reverently of that being, like, restrained, philosophic M. Night Shyamalan before he felt the need to, like, have to shove twists in your face all the time. Um, I think that's, like, an amazing movie for what it isn't doing. Like, it manages to build tension and suspense and, like, mystery out of a very sparse setting. Like, just because it, like, it makes you imagine, like, what would it feel like to have this question be unanswered and yeah. I, like i i really really liked it i was pretty pretty into it split though really impressed me because people had praised it like i think you and carson were both positive on it at, like not in a way like you have to watch this movie but just in a we both liked it m night Shyamalan seems to be back kind of way yeah um, and, and and to be fair i think it got a bump up once the reveal appears that it is part of this trilogy right um and it was like it was a fine film before, and then it became a very compelling film in that context, which we didn't have until after we saw the yeah. film. So from my context, watching the movie, knowing right away every relevant twist that is going to happen in it, like wh whatever I hadn't gleaned from the trailer for Glass and just the talk about Split after it came out, you had even like explicitly told me certain things about Kevin Wendell Crumb and <laughs> we had had discussions as to like how that movie would end exactly and everything like that. Yeah. And I fucking loved Split. I thought Split <laughs> was an amazing movie. I was like, this could have made my top 10 that year if I saw it. Maybe that is like hindsight. I don't know, but I was so into it. I thought everything it was doing was so clever. And when you watch it knowing that it is going to connect to Unbreakable, there are so many little things he does. He sprinkles all over that yeah. like, it is very gratifying to watch. And I think that movie played with genre in a really, really interesting way because it wasn't really a horror. It wasn't funny. It was kind of a personal drama about Anya Taylor-Joy's character that is slowly revealed through the movie. And the fact that there is this heightened maniac doing an amazing performance right around it yeah. is like... 
it's like two very interesting things are going on in that movie at once, and I was very impressed with how well both of them worked and how like emotional the resolution felt to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I was riding a high, very, very excited for Glass to not break that spell. <laughs> we'll find out later if it was Unbreakable. But mm. um, yeah, so for me, I saw Unbreakable way back in 2000 um, when uh, it first came out in theaters. Um, I remember watching it, I remember seeing it in theaters, and then I remember watching it again on video. And it's one of the the er- early Shyamalan films that I was a big fan of. And I think I've I have never revisited it. Because kind of in my head, it was always like I got everything I need from it. In fact, I haven't revisited it in so long that like I forgot that the opening text of the film talks about comics. Like in my head, I remembered it as a reveal that this film was suddenly a comic book film. Um, And instead of like – so it it was kind of weird where like like when talking about it to people who hadn't seen it yet, I was kind of like – trying to beat around the bush that it's <laughs> that it's a, technically a comic book film and then it's like it, the film starts with there are this many comic books read every day and blah 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 um but i still really really loved it uh, when we saw split there was a review of split that carson and i did um so you can hear the full thoughts there but yeah basically it was i thought it was an interesting film i had fun with it and it was really at the very very end <laughs> when it's revealed that this is a sequel to unbreakable that i was like Oh fuck! <laughs> so I'm wondering when that reveal happened for you. Was it just realizing it was going to be connected that did it for you, or did it cast the whole movie in a different light? Like, were there things from previously in the movie that felt like they were like took on new significance because of that? It it was like I I will say like you know we throw out mind mind equals blown like a lot right uh, as a society, but it was literally like I couldn't process what was happening. I was like, what? No, dumb. No, not dumb. <laughs> it was like a thing. Did someone like, say your full name I, angrily? No, exactly. Like I had, I had every single part of Christopher was trying to grab the light <laughs> and come forward and and try to weigh in on what I was seeing. And I think that in the end, by the time I got up from my seat and walked out of the theater, I was like, "Okay, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty fucking cool." Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. So so to continue, I I was very excited going to Glass because. I've liked what this has been building, and I was ready to see um, the conclusion, or maybe the beginning of uh, whatever was this was all building to. Um, so, yeah. So that that is that are our thoughts on mm-hmm. <laughs> on uh, this series so far. Uh, I think that brings us to the point where we need to listen to the trailer for Glass, and then come back and give you guys a review. It's amazing to meet you. It is simply extraordinary. Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes. Good for you. The three of you have convinced yourselves you have extraordinary gifts like something out of a comic book. David Dunn, the only person to survive that train wreck all those years ago. What do you do? I'm in security. You think you have superpowers? It's a feeling. Vision. 
I have to touch them. You believe you are a protector. My name is Patricia. I have no question. There are two dozen identities. I'm Mary Reynolds. Por favor, senora. We almost got you, bro. That live in that body with you. The beast is coming any minute now for you guys. But what I am questioning is your belief that you are something more than human. And yet, it is true. My bones break easily. I've had 94 breaks in my life. But you have an extraordinary IQ. This is not a cartoon. This is the real world. No way. And yet, some of us still don't die with bullets. Some of us can still bend steel. I've been waiting for the world to see that we exist. May I meet the beast? I hope for your sake that he likes you. That sounds like the bad guys teaming up. A lot of people are going to die. Don't do this. Are you ready? What do we call you, sir? First name, Mr. Last name. All right, so that was the trailer for Glass. Um, it is the sequels to, or the sequel to both Unbreakable and uh, Split. And essentially, this film starts off about three weeks after the events of Split. And uh, our potential hero, um, who is now being called the Overseer, right? Mm. Yeah, um, he uh, has found out about this person who the media is calling the Horde and is sort of on the hunt for him. Meanwhile, uh, Elijah, uh, Mr. Glass from the first film, is trying to get these people to come to a head um, for a reason that will become known in throughout the film. <laughs> uh, Stephen Miller, were you able to overcome the negative reactions from <laughs> Twitter <laughs> and enjoy this film, or did uh, you end up in the same place that they were? So b- before I go any further... Is the baseline that we are allowed to spoil Unbreakable and Split when discussing this movie? Yeah, so so we should say for everybody listening right now, if you are listening to this, we assume that you have watched both Unbreakable and Split and nothing that has happened before the beginning scenes of this film count as spoilers for the sake of this conversation. Mm. If you haven't seen either of those two things, you should go watch them now. We've both given them a full like positive uh, endorsement, so... You can see those without needing to hear our opinion on this film. Um, so go do that and then come back and listen. For everyone else, we are treating all scenes, pieces of knowledge or anything from the first two films in this trilogy as all mm-hmm. open and It, can it be only seems fair because the trailer for Glass already does that. Yeah, like the yeah. trailer for Glass has no desire to hide anything. <laughs> that, that, that's actually, if I can uh, take a slight tangent for a second, that is my... Biggest frustration with the trailer for Happy Death Day to you mm-hmm. is that it basically, like, the character, it, it pulls, like, a, a, a into the Spider-Verse, right? Where it's like, all right, let's try this again. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what happened in the first film. And it's such a fun trailer. But for everybody like yourself who have not watched it yet, it's, like, it's all there on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it's still worth seeing, though. Go see it. Ooh, and what if she wakes up to that Post Malone song? <laughs> 
We're definitely going to do a review of that. I'm going to mm. force you to do a review of it, so you should watch the first one. Oh, but... I, I can't wait. My only regret, again, is that that first one doesn't actually have Inda Club playing every morning. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we can, you can still make your own ringtone for it, though, that, Stephen. That's true. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, so go on. Yeah, so basically... I mentioned loving Split, and I didn't want to like get into exactly why before we are reviewing this movie. But what I most loved about Split was how like cleverly and subtly it expounded on the themes of Unbreakable. So Unbreakable is all about the that line between natural and supernatural. Yeah. And Bruce Willis is kind of straddling that line this whole time because it seems like he cannot get hurt. It seems like he has superhuman strength. He is able to touch people and envision what past wrongs they have committed and then act on that knowledge. But the whole movie kind of toys with you because it keeps suggesting maybe this isn't real, you know. Maybe there's a logical explanation for all of this. And, like, that movie just kind of leaves you hanging where it's pretty clear by the end that, like, whatever his, his things are, at least, like, above natural even if they aren't supernatural right like it's clear there's something about him that is different from everyone else um and split kind of picks up exactly where that left off where it's talking about this other character now that has uh different personalities in his mind and there's this psychologist who is so concerned with like can these different personalities actually change you can they make you more powerful you know if you believe yourself to be x if you think you are the beast, can you do things yeah. that only the beast can do? And even outside of supernatural abilities, they bring up quote unquote cases in this universe in which like one of a person's personalities would be a diabetic or one right. of a person person's personalities would have, I don't know, asthma or something, right? Like this is like they, they could basically the, the argument was that your personality change can control the actual genetics of your body almost in real time and have mm. you behave and act certain completely differently than you can in other situations right so so like for me right at the starter split with the benefit of hindsight i saw it as a natural evolution to the themes he was dealing with in unbreakable and it's like a meditation on what what you can control and what you can't um the whole film again much like unbreakable it refuses to give you the like unbreakable never has a moment where the kid actually shoots bruce willis with a shotgun and we see if he would survive yeah yeah. we never get to know the answer to that question split for the bulk of its runtime is very very similar it like you you never really know what is going on is it supernatural or is it just natural what is happening with this character and then in this like i think glorious ending it finally rises to the level of Again, if not supernatural, at least, like, ultra-natural. It's like he's climbing on walls, Anya Taylor-Joy is shooting him with a shotgun, and it doesn't kill him. This is real. This world really... Like, the lines really are that blurry. Yeah. And it, it, it's, a like, I think it's an amazing movie, and it it handles those themes in a way that... It isn't, like, extremely subtle, but it never does that M. Night thing of, like, completely beating you over the head with them, or, like insisting on how clever it is and i think it's because he was waiting till the reveal in the credits to like even draw any connection yeah so he didn't have any time to expound on the connection because like that one trick he really wanted to do forced him to be like restrained everywhere else yeah yeah. so i loved split i think glass is basically two hours of m night taking the themes of split and just like putting them in all caps and saying, this is what I meant. This is what I meant. Did you understand that? Did you understand that? This is the, it, 
I really did not like Glass. Yeah. Um, I and I didn't like it because for one thing, like the reveals it gives, and we'll we'll go into more in spoilers. But yeah. there are things that like are so wonderfully alluded to in Split already, like the relevance of trains, for instance, the relevance <laughs> of certain things that just get like huge screen time in this movie for no one, as far as I can tell. It, like, for no purpose except for M. Night to just, like, declare how cleverly he's constructed this universe. Um, I also think it just does damage to the characters that we have grown to know from this universe. Um, like, there's a moment we'll get to in spoilers where I think pretty much every character from Unbreakable and Split behave collectively in a way that I think they would not actually do. We'll We'll talk about that later. But I also think there's individuals that are just, like, completely misunderstood. I think Anya Taylor-Joy, who was, like, maybe my favorite thing about Split, is makes no sense in Glass. Her behavior doesn't make any sense. I think it undoes everything that was so, like, emotional and beautiful about the way Split ends. Like, yeah. like the relationship between her and James McAvoy's character in Split is very much this unclear... I kind of relate to you, but I don't know why. And this is terrifying, but it's also empowering. That's terrifying, and just ends at that note. And but, it but, just leaves you to like wrestle with that bizarre connection. It, it's it's worse than that though, because it does leave you to wrestle with that bizarre connection because she is not privy to that bizarre connection. Mm-hmm. We get to see her backstory, which he assumes based on seeing yeah. the fact that she's a cutter mm-hmm. and. She gets nothing other than the fact that he says, you are like me. Um, so so I, I feel like the way she plays that scene, she somehow understands what it means. I, I, think, she like, has like the a vague, whole, I think she has a vague idea. The but whole I, movie, she's kind of someone that's like preternaturally good at reading people because of the way she brought up and the way she had to learn how to outmaneuver adults and other people in her life. Yeah, I, I, I just think that in, within the context, she knows at the end of Split, that she is being spared because she has suffered mm. and that he is... I'll, I, I'll just pull a, a definition out of the, of the air and just call him an avenging angel. Mm-hmm. And she knows that because she has suffered, she's technically more pure than others who haven't had to survive by making it through terrible things. But she doesn't know anything about why... Uh, she she doesn't know who Kevin is. Mm-hmm. She has no existence. Like she has no way of grasping Kevin because she has seen Hedwig. She has seen Patricia. Uh, yeah, Patricia and uh, Dennis. Uh, maybe she saw Barry. Um, there's like very few of his twenty something uh, personalities that she has ever encountered. So she mm-hmm. has no idea that Kevin is a person other than maybe was one of the videos she watches on his computer at the end of Split. Yeah, Kevin I think himself. Yeah, so she watches a video that includes Kevin and a bunch of other people. There's also a moment when she interacts with, I believe, Kevin at the end of Split after she says his full name and then all of these different people talk to her where he has this moment of saying, like, Jesus Christ, like, what What did I do? I keep a shotgun, go get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that moment of connection, like... It, it is kind of enough for her to get the gist of what is going on. <laughs> because she pointed a shotgun at a bad guy at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I just think that, like, I'm fine with the way everything played out in Split. I just don't think there was enough of a connection to have her have a- anything from that, right? Like, I, I think uh, that, that she doesn't have enough to go on to understand why Kevin is Kevin. Mm-hmm. She just understands that Kevin is nice. Yeah. And yeah, she has some emotional connection of, like... 
all of this worked out because of my suffering and like i'm sure it's very traumatic it's terrifying obviously her friends got eaten (laughs) Um, but i mean they were barely her friends yeah they were barely her friends also uh the columbus girl (laughs) yeah no exactly i I, I was so happy to see her i totally forgot she was in that film and then like when it started i was like oh look at that yeah it's such a good cast but it anyway I, i think the note their relationship ends on is like really striking and i found very moving in split i thought that ending was like just perfect and it didn't overstay its welcome at all and 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 for the record i felt i thought the ending was very emotional and and i i I was on the same page as you i just don't think that she understands kevin so i'm not complaining about the connection or the quality of that connection i just don't think she understands where that quality comes from more than that she was spared because of things she's gone through Mm -hmm. um so yeah. yeah. So anyway, in Glass, we are asked to posit, what if she not only understands everything about Kevin, but desperately wants to help him? Like, like basically, Glass pits every character in this movie of uh, Mr. Glass, the Overseer, and the Horde have someone in their corner, like a regular person who is rooting for them, who is coming to their aid, who wants them to be okay. And... All of those roles, I think, are very mishandled in the movie Glass. Yeah. I think they behave... Uh, I, think one, I think one of them is handled well. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll talk in spoilers. Yeah, yeah. I, I shouldn't even tiptoe around it. Basically, there's 20 minutes at the beginning of Glass that I like quite a bit. That is just like a continuation of what we saw in Split. But combining it with Unbreakable, it's the sequel that we were promised. And I should be clear, I didn't care if it was an action-packed sequel. I didn't care if it was a, quote, superhero movie. I just mean a movie about these characters interacting and dealing with the fact that each other exists in a way that is going to be interesting. Then the movie just grinds to a halt for, like, a solid hour where M. Night Shyamalan is just reiterating the same fucking thing over (laughs) and over and over again that, like... (laughs) you already know from the first two movies, like you, he had already done it with so much grace. And I feel like this is a movie that just doesn't have any grace or it doesn't trust that the audience can like make a mental connection on their own. Like it decides it has to shove it in your face the whole time. And it, it, it really bothered me. Like so many plot twists in this movie that we'll get to, I was just aggravated because it just felt like it was piling on. Like, how dumb do you think I am? Like, yeah. How much do I need to be spoon-fed right now? Oh, you're going to go there now? Okay. Oh, and you're going to go there? All right. Fine. Like, I wanted to love Glass so much. Like, I was going in. (laughs) When Glass opened, I was like, yes. Good. I'm back in this universe. I don't care what the critics said. I don't care about any of that. I want to watch these characters interact with each other. And it really did not do my trust justice. Like, I love that it exists. I think it looks pretty good. I think the lead actors are still good. You know, I like James McAvoy. Uh, I like Samuel L. Jackson as uh, Elijah Glass. I like uh, uh, Bruce Willis. Like, I I think they're all doing a good job, and those characters are interesting to watch. But I think the movie just, like, manhandles them in the worst possible way. I can't even see the filmmaking anymore. I'm, like, so annoyed (laughs) by, like, what it does to the characters and how much it, like, decides to underline the themes that were already done like so much better in the first two movies so yeah not a fan of glass <laughs> um all right so you rewatched recently unbreakable 
watched for the first or i guess for the first time you watched unbreakable yeah i'm willing the, to say that yeah <laughs> within, within a week you watched uh split for the first time i rewatched both of these the basic well let me phrase that uh, <laughs> sat down with my girlfriend and watched unbreakable the first half of split woke up in the morning watched the second half of split went to brunch then went directly to a theater and mm-hmm. watched glass so i saw all of so these you split split i split split um but that involved like trying to pack split in after Unbreakable ended because I assumed we wouldn't have time in the morning. So I was like, we got to start this now and we can finish it in the morning if it doesn't work out. But anyways, so I watched all of these extremely recently and within a small amount of time. Like when I was sitting down right before we came in here to record, I was like writing down some notes for the film. And I opened up iTunes to try to get the soundtrack before we started recording the episode. And uh, it opened to my rental page. And literally the first of the two films was about to expire in six minutes. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, the the window of time that I watched all three of these in. Right. Um, all that being said, uh, if I can back up for a second. <laughs> when we talked about Star Wars, when Star Wars kind of came back and was the new set of films, um, I made some statements that were that I don't think that the original Star Wars is technically that good. Mm-hmm. That it's just a really awesome universe and playing in that universe is fun, and the thing we're fond for is the universe, not necessarily the story. Um, I don't think that directly applies to Unbreakable um, and then on to Split, but I do think that all of the problems of Glass are in Unbreakable and Split. Hmm. As I was watching the film, and I was always like yawning at moments, I was like, I don't think this is actually technically worse than any of those other two films. Um I'm not saying hard those, disagree. <laughs> I'm not saying those films are bad. I'm just saying, like, with all the complaints, I understand there's a lot of things, um, but some of those complaints, I think you could technically apply to those other films. The problem is that they're starting to compound. So it's not that he's just hammering it home; it's that those things are coming to a head, and he's stating them with the same amount of like. The problem is like in in all the films. He explicitly states all the information we've been given. Sure. But by the third film, we have so much information that when he explicitly states it, it feels like it's beating you on the head with it. But it's not actually – the information isn't being divvied out in a different way than it was divvied out in those other films. We just have all the information now. So it feels weaker and it feels silly. But really, he's repeating the same formula. Um, like, and there's literally mirrored things between Unbreakable and this film where it's like, oh – like minor minor spoilers there's characters that go would you like an exposition exposition dump please take my hand mm-hmm. <laughs> right and i think that that happens same location in both films same basic premise for divvying out the information and it and it's just a thing that he's doing because he's repeating these things and he's sharing the information in that way and it's just as weak as it was in the other films it just feels more obvious now because we have all the information we well, need to enjoy. Well, I think the ratios it. are off, though. Like, the other film, I, I feel like Unbreakable, there is, like, very little of the film is devoted to that exposition. Like, most of it is a mood. It is, like, silent Bruce Willis figuring out what is going on. Yeah, and, and honestly, he doesn't really figure a lot, a right, lot out. Right, exactly. So, and the, the movie is kind of, like, keeping you guessing, but it's setting that tone of, like, this is a kind of brooding, strange, personal story. And Split, again, like... They have the psychiatrist character who is the most M. Nighty thing about that movie, like, yeah. who is saying what they think. But they, they still only have, like, maybe what a total of, like, three minutes of talking in the movie or something. Like, yeah. the vast majority of it is these girls in a situation that they don't understand 
watching this James McAvoy character just be crazy. Yeah. This movie is all people talking at each other. Like, all interactions in this movie are people aware of what is going on who are telling each other about it. And, and, and I think within the context of the film, that works technically. Like, I, I think that... I don't know. I, I, I just feel like the film isn't doing anything that it didn't do before. So it's like some of these complaints, I'm like a little back off. Of. Don't get me wrong. There are some stupid stuff in this film, which we will get to in spoilers, um, or things that I just didn't work for me at all. But I just think that some of the times I was like, hmm. And then I was like, well, you know what? Like 24 hours ago when I was watching the first one, it also had this problem. It just, I didn't care as much in that first film because... We weren't following three characters who are like that's 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 really the problem. Is this is three times of the M Night, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think that M Night is better reduced down to a light simmer <laughs> and yeah. boiling off all the excess, right? And and I think that this film, because it's three films slammed together into one, um, it causes you to taste like if you put three times the spices in something. It's going to taste really strange, right? Mm. <laughs> so I, I think that, like, I can see those complaints, and part of me just goes like, yeah, but they're there before, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to grade on a curve, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. But, um, but why set the curve when it isn't about how you felt watching? Like, the ability of a filmmaker to paper over a clumsy exposition, like, is part of what makes it a good movie versus a bad movie, is whether they make it go down easy, you know? If it doesn't go down easy, I feel like you criticize the shit about it. Yeah, no, no. I, and when we get into the spoilers, like, I have I have a column of good and I have a column of bad. And all of the bad have the word spoiler and bold in front of them. Great. And so it's like, it's one of those things where it's hard to talk about. So I'm just trying to front load yep. uh, attempted defenses of some of the backlash to this film. Because... It wouldn't be it wouldn't be a good podcast if we just sat there and shat on it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but good, it's so, good YouTube channel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I want to talk about some of the good things um, to start off with. First of all, um, I, I made a slight reference to it, but I really like how the sun is used in this film. Um, overall, the idea of because in Unbreakable, the sun is the first believer in the film, right? I mean, if you don't count Elijah himself, but the sun is the one who needs for this to be true. And that moment where his dad holds up the paper and says, like, I'm the overseer, shh, yeah. is, like, this really amazing moment of the son, like, he's just holding back tears, trying not to cry when he's, like, it, like I didn't almost just kill my dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Plus, he is this person, this person that I've been thinking he could be, this idea of this man who can go save people. So I think it's a logical progression of where the son moves to by this film so i i was i was really happy with just that as a thing um i i like the uh idea because we we know that 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 all three men are in this asylum right or whatever you want to call it hospital mm-hmm. and it's like how the fuck do these like superhumans get in there i thought the way that that turns out was was good right like i i think that there's a logical progression to how they bring those people all to be in one place sure so it wasn't just like a Two years later, they've all been arrested and they're insane. Yeah. So it, it was just like a, I, I, w- I was happy to see like how that all worked out. Um, I, once again, I'm still a fan of this idea that Elijah has of of not only has he spent his life trying to find meaning for who he is as a person and and how he became how he is, but 
in trying to prove that, he's trying to prove to the world that this is a real thing too. It's, it's not just like a personal goal of like, I gotta tell people superheroes are real. It's like, I, the world needs to know that I am the way I am, that this guy's the way he is, all these people are the way they are, and that there's probably more like them because all this stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of the idea of this entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, really cool. Um, all that's cool. And I, I think some of the showdowns are actually pretty good between the people. Um, we'll get in a little bit later about the the ramifications of the showdowns might not be so good. But I think the idea that these people are just getting to know their powers, they're not Superman. Right. They're not anybody who's proficient with their powers. Like, the Overseer, <laughs> literally, he just doesn't get hurt but he's bumbling he doesn't he hasn't like been practicing martial arts he hasn't become like an mma champion he's just a guy who can hold somebody in a chokehold for a while while being slammed against walls right Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like one of those things where it's like there's nothing he is specifically doing he just happens to have those powers um and i think uh you know if i can go back to unbreakable one of the things that i like as soon as that film started even rewatching, i was like he would like know he's super powered, right? And just like the idea that, like, like the scene where they're lifting weights, right? He's never tried to lift more because it's felt like he couldn't lift more, right? And it was like when his son challenged him to lift more, he could lift more, but it still felt like that was the most he could ever lift. Yeah. And it's just a matter of there are limits to. It's not like. In, in, like, cartoons and things, there'll be, like, a super-powered person who will, like, try to open a door and rip the door off. Mm-hmm. He's not that strong. Like, when no, he, right. Like, he just doesn't have limits. Yeah. He, like, he, it, he, his limits are mental, basically. And even, even his limits have to ramp up, right? It's not like when he tries to bend bars, he doesn't just immediately bend them. He mm-hmm. has to, like, this is as hard as I can pull. Maybe I'll pull a little bit harder. Maybe I'll pull a little bit harder. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's, it's a slow progression to realize the powers. And I, and I really thought that... The fight scenes, it's not that they were choreographed amazingly. It wasn't like the camera work was awesome. It was just, it felt kind of impressive to have these two people who all they know is strength. It's, it's like in, in, in Creed 2, right? Um, Drago, the Drago character, like, he's not... Certainly the beast of the Creed Yeah, franchise. yeah, yeah. Like, he, he's not specifically talented in and proficient in his skill. He just punches so fucking hard mm-hmm. that... It's gonna hurt the person that he punches if he lands punches on him, and I feel that like both characters kind of have that sense to them. So I I liked the way those scenes played out. Once again, not because they were so awesome. It wasn't like a Matrix brawl or something like that, right? It was just it was just like yeah, yeah. These are unskilled fighters fighting each other with nothing but might, and mm-hmm. I was kind of I was kind of happy with the presentation of that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I don't like about this film. <laughs> um, I don't think the symmetry that M. Night Shyamalan is obsessed with adds anything to the film. He is really obsessed with this idea of mirroring things from other films Mm -hmm. and presenting information in the exact same way. But those things don't necessarily uh, equate to uh, narrative symmetry. They're visual symmetry that doesn't have a meaning behind it, right? Or even... um, so, So in this story... This is I'm skipping ahead, but like one of the complaints I have is that what the psychologist is trying to do is convince these people that they are delusional, right? Like that that's her mm-hmm. job. She's a psychologist. She has to go like, look, you're not a superhero. Sorry. Her explanations, I feel, I feel like they're they're too little, too late, right? Right. We've already had two whole films where characters wonder if I'm really a Superman 
and whether the beast is actually going to show up, right? There's this battle between all of the identities in Split about whether or not the beast is a thing that is even real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the psychologist doesn't believe it's real. So, so, so it's people working with doubt and getting to a point where it is unmistakable mm-hmm. <laughs> that the truth is what the truth is. And this film, there's a character who comes in and tries to say something. And I think that M. Night wants us as viewers of this film to listen to her rationales and to question whether or not she could be right. And I think all of that falls hugely flat. Right. And that's the thing that I think is insulting the intelligence of the viewer is like, we have already grappled with those questions before. Like, there are little details about you know, the shotgun or something that, okay, maybe add a little bit more doubt sprinkled on. But what I think is really annoying about that whole premise is that the distinction between supernatural and natural doesn't even matter. It doesn't exist. That's like what both of those movies were about, right? Is that like, whatever you call it, within the frame of the natural world, they can do these things that no other person can do. Yeah, And And, and, Sarah Paulson's character is basically saying like ah but think beast you're just doing this better than anyone else can do so you aren't supernatural like how could that plant doubt for us that was the whole fucking theme of the last two movies and and the worst part about it is it let's pretend like that's not the whole theme of the last Mm -hmm. couple movies if you take just the themes of this film once again minor spoiler for one of the psychologist's explanations supposedly which we don't see in split there were rock climbing videos mm. <laughs> on Kevin's computer. And she argues that maybe he can crawl up walls because he watched videos on YouTube of guys who can crawl up walls. Whatever the fuck ever. Mm. Let's pretend like I accept that answer. The whole problem is maybe there's other fucking superheroes in the world yeah. who are rock climbing because they realize that they have an unnatural ability to climb, climb rocks. So they change their whole, like maybe right, which is the whole premise of unbreakable, right? Is that like, there are people throughout time that have been better than everyone else. And maybe that is what a superhero is. Yeah. Like maybe free solo only happened because that guy's a fucking superhero, mm-hmm. which he is. <laughs> like it's just, it's just crazy to me that like, first of all, that explanation was dumb. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just I just don't I just don't understand how it, it's one thing to make us the audience doubt, which I didn't. Mm-hmm. But those characters literally have been through an entire film arc to prove to themselves that they are right in thinking what they're thinking. So to 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 have some per- person who's new just show up and make stupid statements and then have them like. I, the acting of the characters didn't make me believe that they questioned the reality of their world. Um, have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Um, <laughs> and and the narrative being presented to the audience didn't convince me the watcher of that. So it's, it's just – it's crazy to me that it happened. Also, while I'm talking about the psychologist, in Split, there is a scene where Dennis, pretending to be Barry, says to the psychologist, boy, what are we going to do if you ever retire or kick the bucket or something? And she goes – I have made arrangements. I have put somebody in place who will take on my work after I finish. I forgot about that. Is it not Mrs. Staples or whatever the fucker character's name is? I don't think it is. is? Because how did they not link this to the split? Like, that's the one connection they don't mm. try to make is that this is the woman she was talking about. Like, that is so crazy. I don't understand how that was not linked. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that is really odd when you bring it up. <laughs> like, I I only made the connection because I've seen the trailer 
and I know that there's a psychologist. And when it got to that scene, when I was rewatching it, like hours before I saw the film, I was like, oh, crazy. It's going to be the same woman that she put in touch with them. And then it's never referenced once. And I'm like, huh, is that, was there, is there a deleted scene where they, they literally just say your previous psychologist told me to work with you. And here I am. <laughs> like, it just, it didn't make sense to me um, that they just skipped that. It's just crazy. Um, and yeah, the last thing I'll say before we get to spoilers is that uh, I, I just think Casey is so misused in this film. Like that, that character, none of every like you, you mentioned a little bit, but none of her experience in the film is set up in the previous film t- mm-hmm. in my mind. So. I I will go a step further and say like if I were the sort of person who like looked at movies as a whole rather than separating them as like their own distinct thing this would have, like, kind of ruined her in the last movie for me. Like, it does so much disservice to her character, I think. Yeah. The behavior here. And it that that was the only thing that, like, really, like, bothered me. The other things I was just like, okay, this movie is falling flat and he's assuming too much. But, like, her use case, like, her, the way he uses her in this movie makes me think that he doesn't understand what she meant in the last movie and he just got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that bothers me. No, I, I, and, and I think that, ironically enough... He's he's trying to create a universe that grounds superheroes in the reality that is our lives. And he wants to pretend like the Marvel films don't exist, the DC films don't exist, yet he takes ideas from those films mm-hmm. and inserts them into the story. Um, there's specifically two characters in, <laughs> in the Marvel universe who are pretty much Casey and the Horde. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that in spoilers, I guess. But it, it just... It's it's funny to me the tropes he's borrowing while trying to like upend the existence that is those films. Yeah. I mean on a meta level, I just think like he believes what he is doing with this trilogy is saying something profound about the superhero genre and flipping it on its head, right? Like taking pointing out its philosophy and warping it somehow. And I think like you could make a case that Unbreakable did that because it was before the superhero craze. Split wasn't putting anything on its head, but it was like interesting in the way that it connected another genre to the superhero genre. Yeah, The Marvel and DC machines for years have been all about meta and all about flipping the idea of a superhero on its head and all yeah. about like questioning what they mean to society like that's why there's like a un meeting in every fucking avengers movie right it's because (laughs) it's it's all about like how would real people react to superheroes and what does that mean and what are the ramifications and what does it represent like but in in fairness this film is technically a prequel to all of the those films right like this is the first time that heroes have been sure, shown in, to the world in the universe but in our universe where we're watching this where M Night is like patting himself on the back for 2 hours revealing yeah. how grandly he's flipping all this stuff i it just feels like he isn't paying attention to all these other movies like i i don't know there there's an i'd never really understood the quote arrogance the people like ascribed to night before it always seemed like he got a bad rap because sometimes he like took a swing and a miss and people would be like oh you flew too close to the sun uh genius boy whatever this is the one movie where i really feel the arrogant side because it it feels like he thinks he is saying something incredibly grand and groundbreaking and novel 
and it's basically just Jesse Eisenberg from Batman v Superman. <laughs> it, like, it really is. Like it is nothing that superhero movies are not already concerned with, and that like that disconnect is really odd to me with like the philosophic bravado that it's trying to speak to compared to the actual like. Yeah, I, I know. I've been watching movies too for the last five years. Yeah. You know, there, there's a weird gap there that made me dislike this movie more than maybe I would if it were an unknown filmmaker who was just trying something new. Well, I guess so. So in theory, it has been said that he had the idea for Glass when he made Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. I believe that because these feel like they were made or conceived of at that same time, which is kind of why I forgive so many of these complaints, not because I think they're not issues, but because I think those exi- those issues existed as a whole chunk, which is all three films, even mm-hmm. though the other two films weren't made until now. And I think that, like, I can, like, it's kind of like, as I'm watching it, when I see things that are, like, too much or kind of dumb, I'm like, well, that that's on brand. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be that there were more compelling things in the first films but they still existed in a world where the the lack of oomph or awesomeness was there. I just yeah, there, there's something where I'm like, I, I can't escape that curve. <laughs> yeah, like maybe the thing is, I'm I'm not as much of a plot person. So to me, the philosophy is never what I cared about about yeah. either of these movies. I think Unbreakable is amazing because it is like an exercise in like how much can you lower the blood pressure of a superhero origin story and still make it be a good movie you know like how can you build a mood piece that is all about the thing that most superhero movies would condense to like a 30 second montage yeah um and split is all about this like the emotional meaning of it like the the parallel between casey and uh uh, kevin wendell crumb like the the way that they both even if logically they are not the same the feelings that are kind of like symmetric and the things that they're doing to guard themselves from the outside world and put on like a different face for different situations. Like, are, are you saying that each of his pers- personalities is like another shirt that Casey would put on? Basically, yeah. <laughs> but but I, th- there's just something, I think that movie was just very emotionally smart. Like I think it handled tone amazingly well. Yeah. And anything else I was saying, I didn't really care. And this movie doesn't, doesn't have the tone and it isn't really doing something new from a genre perspective. And that, so all that leaves is the M. Night philosophy. And the philosophy just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that I'm totally on board with the idea that heroes exist. I'm not on board with the idea that there have always been heroes and the, the, the comic book artists of the world are like the all-seeing eye who have been documenting the history of man's evolution <laughs> throughout mm. time in the form of like that idea always seems stupid to me. Like I liked, I liked the idea in my memory before I rewatched Unbreakable that all of that was glass reading so much into it and kind of like in, in our conversation about the master, right? In one way, um, uh, Mr. Glass is the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, uh, <laughs> where he's he's trying to prove to himself that he's right, mm-hmm. and he needs this other person to do this thing that will convince him that all his work actually means something and is real. Yeah, I just came up with that right now. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I still read it that way. I yeah. still think 
Unbreakable, it is not at all clear in Unbreakable that the world was actually comic, comic books were based in reality and the people who made comic books were like tapping into something real. Yeah. I think, I think Unbreakable is all about Elijah being so obsessed with that he needs it to be true. And much like these other two characters, the will to want something and need something is the real barrier to having powers. Like, maybe not for everyone, but for some people. Yeah. And Elijah is one of those people. He wills other superheroes into existence because yeah. he trains them and pushes them he, and he makes trains them. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, ma- he makes them do things they wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, I just, I just, I, whether intentional or not, that was a good pun. <laughs> Unintentional. <laughs> um, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm moving uh, a little slower. On account of how he derailed yeah, he got, an entire train to create yeah. him. Speaking of derailing, I feel like this conversation should jump into spoilers. Probably, okay. I should switch tracks and uh, yeah. take the whatever line to spoiler town Montag. <laughs> Um, all right, so we are going to get to verdicts uh, for the non-spoiler seg- segment, uh, let everybody know what we thought of the film, and then we'll close up the episode, and then you can stick with us if you've already seen it for a l- spoiler talk. Um, so yeah, uh, let's do verdicts first. Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I'm doing pass with a caveat because I was very unhappy with this movie. I, I do not like what Knight did with the franchise. I do still think the main characters are compelling, and I love the fact that this movie exists. Like, I want to live in a world where Knight, you know, 15, 16 years later, funded out of pocket a hidden sequel that nobody knew was a sequel, and it did so well, he was able to close a trilogy and turn it into this big thing. Um, I love this film as... If nothing else, a big highlighter that points to the other two movies and goes like, hey, you should all catch up with these other two things that I did. Because yeah. um, it worked on me. Like, I wasn't going to watch them otherwise, and now I have. But I, I just think he falls so short. Maybe it is just a swing and a miss, but th- that arrogance just really gets in the way for me. And it, I was quite annoyed, like, an hour into this movie when I realized that I still had, like, half of the movie left to go and it wasn't going <laughs> to get any better. <laughs> Nice. Um, I think if uh, would that it not would, would that it weren't so for the ending of this film, I might give this a recommend with a caveat. Um, mm. Not because it's so great, but because it's good enough and on par enough with the way he told the story previous to this that it would be there. Um, we'll get into spoilers where this film goes by the end of it. I think knocks it down enough that you're going to have a better experience if you just. Wait till this is out for rental because the conversations about how bad it is will have gone away and you can watch it and you can just go like, you know, what? I didn't think it was so bad or whatever you're going to do. Like, it's just a way to you can let all the controversy surrounding um, M. Night's career slash quality of filmmaking go out the window and you can just become the hero you want to be and watch this film on your own. So I'll give it a wait for rental. But there is a universe that this film doesn't currently live in, that it could have been a thing that like I would be much happier with. And I think that leaving 90% of this film where it is, I could have still supported the film in some way. Hmm. Um, but I think we arrive at a place by the end of the film that kind of takes away from the film being all right. <laughs> 
Um, and I think it's kind of broken from the start. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that'll do it for the non-spoiler section of this episode. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found, um, including YouTube, where we have some videos for those of you who listened on YouTube. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can... Do so by sending an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Glass, so hopefully you're enjoying that. As we mentioned at the top of the show, there is that survey. You can let us know your top tens from 2018. Um, so head over to thespoilerwarning.com slash top ten. That's T-O-P-1-0. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And here we go. Music is going to fade up, and when the music fades out... We will be in full-blown spoilers for this episode. So if you have not seen Glass yet, what are you doing? Um, we're going to spoil it, so stay tuned. You might you might enjoy listening to this anyways, even if you haven't seen the film. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to do that starting now. All right, so what is the best way to approach this? I'm going to let you conduct this train uh, because I think you probably have more specific plot memories than me. I'm happy to riff on them as you go along. Okay. So I'm going to start with like the, 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 the minorest complaint, which is this really, really dumb thing that happens in the film, which is Elijah, who has been hanging out in this mental institution pretending he's comatose, um, is told that uh, Dr. Staples, or whatever her name is, is going to perform a procedure on him which apparently involves shooting a laser at his forehead and fixing his brain. In a way that has no feedback mechanism while you are doing the procedure, apparently. (laughs) It's a laser that using a three-piece lens system can shoot a laser beam through your skin and into your brain to correct something to do with your frontal lobe, which makes you super smart. (laughs) I guess she's trying to, like, give him a laser lobotomy. Yeah. But apparently, if you just remove this lens thing, it makes a laser beam which doesn't burn skin still, <laughs> but also doesn't give you a laser lobotomy. Mm. What, the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck was happening in this scene? So I'm, I completely agree with you, but that, that is the sort of cheesy that I would be totally on board for if he were just, like, committing to it and letting the rest of the movie be what it is. Because that is kind of like a... Whatever, I, a dumb comic booky device, right? But I, I mean, I would, I would even accept if he reversed the lenses and it made him smarter instead mm. of dumber, right? That would be like, more comic book. That, that would be more comic booky, yeah. right? But the fact that he's like huh, snuck in here after hours and deleted all his footage so I could remove three lenses. I, I just love from the idea device. that whoever is doing this surgery, like something about the way the laser works, they're not monitoring anything to make sure it is doing the right thing. They're just like, yep, put it in the oven for three minutes and take it out. (laughs) Exactly. It's like they're doing it blindfolded. It's so crazy. And like, they could have also just done electroshock therapy or any other procedure that exists in real life that like, give them an actual lobotomy, bring in John Hamm from friggin' Sucker Punch and just have him pop that thing up his nose. Like, (laughs) spoilers for Sucker Punch. 
<laughs> I just I just don't understand what the thought was behind that. This film, as you said, overexplains everything, but doesn't overexplain laser beam lobotomy mm-hmm. or how that's supposed to make him better and not worse. I mean, I just uh Yep. Crazy, crazy to me. Crazy to me. I would have even accepted that he wasn't pretending to be comatose, that he was comatose, but he sent a letter from the past before he was a, uh, was a thing with, like, an envelope with a bunch of cash and, like, a letter that says, hey, Mr. Security Guard, that I'm going to – yeah, we're in spoilers. I'm going to slit your throat later. Please remove this lens from the machine and all this cash is yours. And then, like, when they zap him in the head, he suddenly becomes smart. I, I don't I, – <laughs> Like, he uncomatoses himself. I don't know, yeah. but I guess they didn't want to do the procedure if he was actually... They did the procedure because he was sneaking out. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is it was really fucking dumb. I, I would say that might be the first the first truly dumb twist in this movie, except for... I, I give it props for this one, but it was really dumb. The five minutes they devote for M. Night to explain why his character could be both a criminal in uh unbreakable universe and a home security expert in split because that was the big thing all fans wanted to know (laughs) oh man but yeah so that one just says mild spoilers in my note because i just had to talk about that up Mm -hmm. front um much like the not connecting the two psychologists together into the universe this was just one thing that stood out to me as very being very very silly um so the first thing we can hit is um and i think i wrote these down semi chronologically within the story is i i really hate uh casey and the beast Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or uh black widow and the hulk as i like to call them yeah because her only thing like literally she is there as essentially a deus ex machina to help them kill um, the Horde. Like, it, she's just there to do the ICU thing and, like, hold his hand so that he can unhulk himself out mm-hmm. so that, like, the enemy can shoot him, right? Like, it, it just felt like there wasn't enough justification. Like, this is three weeks since her abduction and almost murder by a madman who thinks he's and the devil. And that's the thing. In my mind, this was still in real time, so it had been like two years or something like that. I must have missed the title card that said how long it was. Yeah, yeah, in my because, mind, she is like well older and onto her life, and she's revisiting now for the first time. I, I, yeah, the the only thing that you get to know – like, I, I – the, the description um, – on wikipedia says specifically that it's three weeks but i knew it was relatively the same time simply because like they reference the newspapers talking about this horde person Mm -hmm. and if it was like two years later and there hadn't been other sightings of the horde nobody would know like who the fuck the horde person is anymore it would just be like he was a horde (laughs) never gets old (laughs) um uh but yeah so i just i just didn't like because I'm I'm happy to have her back. Like she was a good character. I liked the fact that she was like the calm one who was working through all the situations. Yeah. I even like the idea of her being semi sympathetic towards Kevin. Sure. I just don't think she's established enough to understand the the true connection between how they were both created in the same light. Um Well and, and I think they botched this the moment she sees him again for the first time. Yeah. She is already like emoting with her eyes, which like th- that actress, like, she's great at, like, showing emotion with her eyes. Yeah. That's, like, most of the last movie and The Witch and Thoroughbreds. Um, yeah. But immediately she has just turned into, like, crying tears of joy for watching Kevin find himself in a way that is just, like, this is the guy who 
ate your classmates and almost murdered you yeah. like a few weeks ago. What? Like, why is this movie not giving me a trajectory where you land here eventually? Like, shouldn't you be angry first? Shouldn't you, like, go through a phase of denial before you flip it? Yeah. It's it just weirdly timed, and they front load that so early into the movie that that was really my first clue of, like, ooh, this is not going to handle this character it, the way I want them to. I, I would even accept, like, a weird Stockholm Syndrome with Hedwig, right? Where she's, like, sort of semi-in love with Hedwig because she thinks he's in mm-hmm. it. Like, I don't know. But, like, she has more connection and it, experience with Hedwig than she does with uh, Kevin. Yeah. But by this film, Hedwig's straight up fucking evil, right? Like, the whole time he's like, you gonna get the beef, gonna get the... <laughs> like, he's trying to, like... He's he's been sort of promoted to the evil league of evil because he can take the light whenever he wants, which is a thing they never explain. But I'll take it. Um, so yeah, it was just it, there was a little there was a strange thing there that that sort of I don't know. I I just I here's why it bugged me. Mm-hmm. Not because it wasn't done well, but because it was obvious that the only reason why it was there is because they needed each person to have one person who was supporting them. Yeah. And, and, and once again, the symmetry thing. Like it, it was, it was only there for him to put this rule of three into place, and that just felt so weak. It wasn't even that her appearance was bad in some way. It was that her appearance was governed by the fact that he specifically wanted the son to be supporting his father, the mother to be supporting her son, and then this other abused child to be supporting another abused child. And it just, it just, it felt so weak and it wasn't a thing that pushed the story forward. It was a thing that felt like him establishing a rule and then going with a rule of three, even though he didn't have a real reason to do it. Um, So that made me sad. I, I agree. And I think that rule of three also, that rule of three exists so that the end of this movie, and I don't want to, jump ahead of where you're going that's fine yeah in in the end of this movie the big reveal which isn't a reveal because it's also what we've known this movie was going to be the whole time we we knew this movie was going to be the unveiling of the existence of superheroes right like yeah no matter what the specific mechanics of each person's plan we knew that was going to happen the big awe-inspiring reveal at the end of this movie is that it is the reveal of the existence of superheroes it's just from a whatever, a, a video surveillance camera rather than being on top of, you know, Nokoyami Plaza or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, in, in order to do that, what this movie does is at the end, those three people, three people with very different motives, um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, uh, the, the son's character, Spencer Treat Clark, uh, and the mother <laughs> of Samuel L. Jackson, who would like in this universe she would have to be like a hundred or whatever because he's like in his 70s already i think well maybe he just has super aging that's true yeah he has super (laughs) aging anyway they all come together and are holding hands and waiting with enthusiasm for this moment to be revealed in the world I don't believe any of them would do that. I do not believe the son who the thinks son, his dad is a superhero would son, ever be like, oh, yeah, I am on the side of the mother of the mastermind who murdered thousands of people. The son, I believe, would. Really? He, he, he wouldn't be on the side of the mother, but he is 100% on the side of we need to tell the world that superheroes exist. No, Especially, I, I think he would do that. I just don't think he would team up with them to do that. Yeah, And, and I think – yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just think that he's on the board. Anya Taylor-Joy, like, fucking Casey's character, 
there is no reason in hell why she would want to participate there because like <laughs> her only connection to superpowered people is one unstable person with 24 or 8 personalities and yeah. there's there's no explanation for and, why well, and, she's and like, it isn't like the problem with Kevin is that people don't believe he has the power to go into beast mode. <laughs> like that was never like his problem. It, it, it was never like people just don't know you have beast mode and I need to let the world know. Like that isn't what she identified with about him. That wasn't yeah. their emotional connection. That wasn't anything. Like, what she identified with him is that he was hurt and she was hurt. Yeah. And hurting has nothing to do with a video showing the world that you can like flip over a fucking truck. That doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with her character. Like that is really weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think even in a world where you want to believe that she's just mad at the Illuminati for (laughs) killing the person she apparently loved after three weeks after being kidnapped and released, then there's no, like, it still doesn't make sense why she'd be like, well, I'm going to fuck you guys over since you kill my man. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I don't understand her at all. I I mostly understand why Elijah's mother would feel this way, even though it, it again, is strange because it's already established he is a mastermind. <clears throat> you know, that archetype. Yeah. He, he was locked away for that reason. Like, he had conducted all these terrible things. She wanted the world to know that his vision of superheroes existing is true. But no one outside of the people in that room knew that that was his vision of the world, right? It, it wasn't like... She had to prove anyone wrong. I don't, it, it was all just really weird. Like, the kid is the well, only his, one I believe would really post the video. And even then, I don't feel like that is the big gratifying moment because there was no public outrage that flipped against him. It was just, like, but, but, contained but, to this one asylum and the, these characters, you know? But, but the mother had also, I assume, wanted to know why she was cursed with a glass baby, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so she, I think she's already on board with her son finding a meaning for his life and his existence. I think she was drinking the Kool-Aid, like, 100%, and I think that she believed in his vision, and then when he's killed, like, suddenly by his own creation, she needs to continue on his goal, because otherwise everything was for nothing. So I 100% buy her wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. I 100% believe the son wanting to do it i don't believe casey wanting to do it i don't believe the three of them sitting holding hands in freaking penn station or yeah whatever. Wh- whatever it is <laughs> in philadelphia or wherever the fuck they are like it, it just it none of that makes sense um on top of that skipping ahead i guess to the end of my list chronologically there is nothing about that footage that convinces anybody anything about fucking anything like if if you watch the did you watch the show heroes no um first season heroes amazing second season heroes not so amazing but if i'm if i'm remembering correctly the second season of heroes is uh, uh ends with uh claire the girl um the cheerleader getting somebody to get a video camera and she like stands up on a ferris wheel jumps from the Ferris wheel, theoretically committing suicide, and then gets up and snaps all her bones back into place mm. and says, like, her phrase from the series, which is, like, my name is Clara, whatever. Uh, as far as you're concerned, this is my first attempt. And it's, like, telling the world that superheroes exist, right? That is, like, a moment where it's her trying to stop being hidden, tell everybody this is all real. I'm probably forgetting because it's been many, many years, almost as long as Unbreakable. I don't know when mm-hmm. the series aired. But, like, it's just... In that... She was doing a death-defying stunt. 
that literally people would have seen her die. And that's the thing about her. She was a super healer. So theoretically, she did pretty much die. Mm -hmm. But because her brain wasn't like it's like a zombie sort of thing, right? As long as you don't kill the brain, like she's okay or you don't sever the spine. I don't know what the rules were. But essentially, she was able to regenerate in a way that was unmistakable (laughs) from being a person that is a mutant-powered person of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. This is like some people throwing them against cars and the cars move when they hit them or strongman style bending a bar mm. like the feet even like like I, I don't lift weights right i could bend that I, I don't i don't know how much is a lot but even when i was rewatching unbreakable i was like people like bench more than 250 right mm. <laughs> like the i think without him saying the line in unbreakable where he's like i don't know i've never benched more than 250 how much did you put on <laughs> Outside of that, I don't think there was a real explanation for, like, this is a feat of human, like, majesty or whatever, right? Like, strongman competitions, I assume they're benching way more than 250. Um, I don't know. But anyways. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just think there's nothing in those shots that, like, don't come across as somebody fucking around, right? Like, this would be, like, something you'd see on TikTok or whatever the kids are watching now, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I just think that that's not, it's not enough to convince the world that superheroes are real. Well, I, I just don't understand why. So the twist of that whole bit is that Elijah was not actually planning on revealing themselves to the world by climbing a tower and having a big showdown. He was planning on revealing themselves to the world by trying to escape and probably failing, but having a video be streamed to it. Yeah. Let's ignore that. He just streamed it simultaneously to three people, two of whom he has never met. <laughs> Certainly, he doesn't know their IP address or whatever. Well, um, no, he streams it to a private service ser- server that he runs that his mom is most likely in control of. I think that all of that footage came from the mother. Oh, really? And that the kids I- are I just sitting. I thought he streamed it simultaneously to all three because it showed us like all three of them one by one like getting it on their computer all of a sudden. Anyway, he sent an email with a link and okay. like a bit of text that was like, heroes are real, okay. <laughs> or whatever the idea was. Re- regardless of all that, like that new plan, I'm going to videotape us doing hero things, is exactly the same as the original plan. It's like a twist for no one. Like, yeah. I, I don't understand it. Like, the, the idea was always the big reveal. And well, the only twist is, by the way, I knew we weren't going to do anything cool, but I filmed it. The, like the, I, I just, the, again, it was just so oddly. The twist, the twist is simply I'm smart enough to have bested the Illuminati. Like mm-hmm. that's basically the only twist. Um, yeah, so. but sure. but before I go into the next thing, I just want to say the film Chronicle, which made my list at the end of the year that that came out, is fantastic. And at the end of that film, there's a thing that lets people know that heroes exist mm-hmm. <laughs> or villains, rather. Like there is an unmistakable thing where. There is a lot of footage from a lot of people that goes a lot of places that shows the events of the end of that film. That's way more of a duh, crazy shit happens in real life type of moment, right? As opposed to like guys bending bars, throwing each other against a thing and yeah. But so. but like I'm I'm okay with all of that anyway because I think even in this movie there there's a reason that M Night never gives us the point blank shotgun to bruce willis's face right like yeah there's a reason he doesn't give us that gratifying moment because he wants it to be that like 
superheroes are not a quantum leap above regular people. They are just like, they can do more than others. And the, the fact that the only way to put that to the test would be to really jeopardize your own safety is a reason that like in the real world, if superheroes existed, they might not really know it for a long time. Right. That That's yeah. kind of like what he's been doing with all of this. I'm totally cool with that. I just think like, but, but dragging I mean, out a like twenty minute ending or whatever for a reveal that's not a reveal, so we can see like the least impressive footage of the characters. It's just really odd. But but I mean, in fairness, if you can survive a train derailment where like the entire train is just obliterated and not a single soul sur- even remotely survives, mm-hmm. and you are unscratched at all, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you can take a shotgun shot to the face. Sure. Um, I just think there's a reason that Unbreakable never gives you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the fight in Unbreakable is like a guy throws him out the window and then he strangles him. You know? Well, I, I think it's just there because it, it's supposed to be ambiguous in that film until mm-hmm. he finally decides to like put on his poncho and go out and touch people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so an inspiration to us all. <laughs> so the uh, yeah. So so first of all, we'll get in a two for one is my last kind of point. Um, the the now it's time to shake your hand moment in this film uh, pissed me off because much like our conversation about Casey's on a, no way to, to have the flash that Kevin has in his head or that the Beast has in his head when he sees her scars. He sees a flash of her at a dinner table standing up and saying, we're here. That's not enough information to know anything from that flash. Like, if she just walked away and didn't drown him in a puddle, he would not be able to find that restaurant and know what happened. Like, that's nothing. He just wanted to repeat the moment where the real villain of the film reveals to him on purpose by shaking his hand what is really going on. And there's no way that Bruce Willis, while having his face shoved in a puddle, when she says, please take my hand, he could have like thought that, like, a, if you were actually trying to help me, this guy would just punch you to death. <laughs> mm-hmm. And B, I don't know, it's, it's, that, that whole scene doesn't make sense. It's just an attempt to once again create symmetry between this film and Unbreakable, and I didn't buy it whatsoever. So I'm, I'm fine with that symmetry, but I was so off board with the pace of the movie at that point that this was just another reveal that kind of like fell flat. Because the thing it's revealing is like, okay, you're not a psychologist who's trying to persuade people they aren't superheroes. You are a psychologist who's trying to persuade people they aren't superheroes, who's a part of an organization. End of reveal, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, again, why did you give it to me in this order? Like, it didn't build tension the way that it was supposed to. Yeah, and really, that's my final complaint about this film, is this idea of this Illuminati-like organization whose whole job is to, like, as you said, be the Lex Luthor Luthor of of this series and go like, wait, superheroes should not exist we should exterminate them. And she's a member of this organization, but she's using her specialty in psychology to figure out a different way to eliminate superheroes, which is to convince them they're not super, which is the stupidest long con <laughs> I've ever heard of. If you have the ability to take out superheroes, which you clearly do because you do it at the end of this film, so strangely, the idea that your whole plan is to just meet all the superhero like none of those characters thought they were super until a moment in which they questioned their reality and decided that maybe they're super. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you would choose people who are already, 
already gone on this journey and try to convince them otherwise makes zero sense. Like, if you could somehow know... Like, if this was a film that involved time travel, and you could know that, hey, he's going to be on a car accident where he survives with no scratch, maybe I should prevent him from getting into that car, then, sure, I buy a time travel... Like, this this organization has one hero on their team who can time travel, and they look at all the moments when all of these heroes decide that they can be a superhero, and they go back in time and try to undo that, so they spend their whole lives not knowing that they have superpowers. I would buy that. Mm-hmm. That's not what the story is about. This is just a weird organization who up until now has been murdering superheroes. And now in this one moment, they decide to like head shrink them into not being superheroes anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like it, once again, if I can, just, they're borrowing other things. It's basically like Magneto trying to use his mind control on people to stop them from being bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me get inside your head and just psychoanalyze you until you decide to be a good guy. I, I And I'm like, again, plot-wise okay with that. But what I don't like is what that plot does is makes the bulk of this movie be devoted to people sitting around and talking about the blurry line between superhero and not superhero. And it, like, it's just the most boring thing to me. It's like the least interesting thing you could do with this premise after you've built it up so well for two other movies is be like, now we're just going to talk about it. And not add anything to the conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's a question for you, um, and we can wrap this out, up soon. But is there a – first of all, are you okay with them killing all of the characters from this trilogy? And B, is there a world if, – if, if no, then B, <laughs> is there a, a way in which that would work? Because clearly they want to be like, we finished this trilogy – completely but we want to set up a universe where i can make another film or you can believe that all the other heroes become heroes now like it's Mm. it's like a weird sort of like we're not going to carry on these characters who up until now their only heroic moment was to throw a guy into a wall who who punches the guy on the street (laughs) like i mean we shouldn't say these heroes there is one hero in this universe (laughs) well heroes and villains like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i'm completely fine with him killing them all off i mean this is a trilogy. It is clearly like the ending of a thing. I don't need any of them to live on afterwards. Like the the each of their individual friends or whatever is a good enough proxy for living on. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I don't want him to continue this universe anymore, but I'm totally fine in principle with like them all dying at the end. Well, let me rephrase it this way. We've talked about other series in the last few years that involve killing all, if not most, of the characters in the film. And I think we've talked about that being a brave decision and how refreshing it is that could happen. Do you think this film achieves that or is it just like, I mean, at this point, sure. (laughs) I mean, what... I, w- I want to know what movie you're alluding to (laughs) with your question, I guess. It's another franchise film that is placed somewhere in between other films within that franchise. Oh, snap. <laughs> um, it involves, like, all the cast members dying. No, I, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I, I get it. Um, I, I don't think this is brave, but I think ending a trilogy with all the characters dying is not that unusual. Like... It is different from a franchise that had a huge following where you think he's going to keep running with it. I feel like it was already amazing that he made three of these. I I was never believing there's going to be a fourth necessarily. So 
I don't think it achieves a bravery thing. I just think he doesn't nail the landing. It it doesn't have the impact it is supposed to have. But I don't think that impact is ever supposed to be like the future that we will now not get because they're dead. Yeah. I feel like the movie is going to end no matter what. And he just very clumsily did it. But I'm fine with it ending with the characters being dead. Yeah. It would, it would be nice if there was some sort of better sacrifice that a character makes to die instead of just dying. Right. Um, and by a character, I mean Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just dying in a puddle. Which yeah. is, that is a thing that is similar to Unbreakable, which I liked. Is like his weakness does make him like very pathetic in certain situations. And I'm, which I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm 100% fine with that. Like yeah. I, I like the, the idea of the Achilles heel or the kryptonite. Like that, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully on board with that. I just – I think that – the death serves nothing, and I think in in cases where characters die, like say maybe other superhero films, um, which are not technically part of the Marvel franchise, mm-hmm. um, where a hero may die, you make it fucking worth it, right? If you're gonna kill somebody, kill them with. A passion and with feeling and in a way that makes your audience cry can you put that on a motivational poster for me to hang in my office <laughs> i'll do my best if you're gonna kill someone do it with passion yeah make it worth it <laughs> um but yeah i didn't like the big reveal that kevin's father died in the train crash in oh, the same train crash like I I so, know I know he did, and you don't need to tell me that. Like it's so much cooler for you to not tell me that. But it's here's the thing: is I actually have this under the good category under spoilers. I have the Martha moment <laughs> because much like most of the things in this film, it's not necessarily good for the audience, but it's good for the characters, and I think that that. Because we, we get it foreshadowed by two of the, the characters that we're following by the end of the film finding out this information and being like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck could they be possibly looking at? And then when the son yells it as he's about to go off and try to climb the tower or whatever he's going to do, I forget now. Um, his realization that this person who has got me to do this thing that I'm doing right now, who I've believed in his goal like there's like there's a collapse for the character that makes him upset and like like there's ramifications for mr glass there's ramifications um for the beast himself there's there's like a bunch of things that make him like it it, it just it there's reveals enough for each of the characters who it affects that it makes it worth it. And it kind of has like a it, it just of all the things that happen in this film, it's the it's one of the only ones that actually has like a like a toll for any character and that it's not just a M Knight saying like see what I did after three movies. It's like those characters actually get affected by it. It's not just Yeah, I think audience. they get affected by it, but I still just feel like it's him saying, See what I did after three movies. Yeah, but but like I'm not here to have a character therapy session. I'm here to like a movie. The, the, half this film is a character therapy session. I know, session. I don't like it. But yeah, I, I just think that as dumb as it is, it actually matters to the characters, which changes my opinion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I was going to create like an in-between good and bad for this one specifically, um, but I was like, fuck it, I'm going to call it good. Mm. Um, because I almost wanted to say out loud in the theater, why are you saying that name? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, should, should we call this a, an episode? Yep, I'm ready to call it. Cool. Um, I think next week, uh, the film Serenity? <laughs> 
the cool. cra- crazy Matthew McConaughey oh, uh, and Hathaway is, films. That is almost definitely the thing that everyone on Twitter was secretly heavily praising, but not oh, allowed to say the name of. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize Serenity was coming out so soon. Yeah, so apparently that's coming out this weekend, so we'll see that. There are also some Netflix films coming out. Mm. Uh, apparently there's a film called Polar, which is like Mads Mikkelsen as like John Wick. Cool. <laughs> Even look at the poster. Now, should I rent Polar or should I buy Polar? Oh. <laughs> Split, callback, I'm a genius. <laughs> look at what I did. I think we'll end on that. <laughs>